I realize mundane uh, is actually not mundane. Sorry. Boring is actually kind of the wrong word. I don't know how to explain my feelings on Galactus sometimes. Like, I think part of it is familiarity breeds contempt. You know, you you have something that exists for a long time and eventually they find a way to bring shit back repeatedly. The Daleks in Doctor Who, you know, mm -hmm. things like that where you're just kind of like, okay, we're doing this again. But also, like... You know, like I said, I like the cosmicist sort of idea of, uh, of Galactus, where even if you ignore the sort of frightful geometry of the Lovecraftian side of things, just this notion of a, a being who is so far beyond you that you cannot even grasp their motivations... Mm -hmm. And the more we see of Galactus, the less of that there is. It just eventually becomes like, yeah, I know all there is to know about Galactus at this point. And that's not frightening. Because, like, if you understand Galactus, you can defeat Galactus. You can find a way to, to coexist with Galactus. And that's not frightening. It, I think it depends on intent um, to me, because if I'm supposed to be terrified of Galactus, then yes, I don't want that. If if he's more fun as an unknowable uh, sort of strange force of nature with a face, then that's 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 OK. You can do that. You can have that, too. Um, but I'm thinking of specifically the... Uh, that issue of Thor where he goes and hangs out with Galactus and basically kind of is like, hey man, I get it. Like, they have a sit down and talk about how Galactus... I liked that issue. Um, but, I, you know, like, to your point, that's a different... That's a different Galactus. Like, he's not supposed to be terrifying in that moment. He starts out that yeah. way and then their their intent through through the story is to move you to a different not position but like we the reader go from being terrified to or being told he's terrifying to what the story's actually about which is something yeah. else and that one works for me but it, yeah i guess it it really depends on the intent of the galactus story um right this this is much more of a in fantastic four for the most part, he is supposed to be a unstoppable, hungry dude who eats planets, and that's what he does. And uh, that's, that is supposed to be scary to us in Fantastic Four. And right. Reed playing fast and loose with, as far as the other three know... Reed is playing fast and loose with the, like, he's gonna eat him, uh, yeah. is, re seems really irresponsible. Um, I've read enough Fantastic Four at this point to be like, yeah, yeah, he's probably got it. Um, yeah. I don't know what, I, you know, at, at, during reading, I was like, I don't know, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm sure he'll figure out a way to rules lawyer his way through this. Um, right. And that'll be fine yeah okay uh i and i i will say i think it's i think it's interesting you know people complain about galactus as he was handled in the ultimate universe and in fantastic four two uh but i think those those portrayals of galactus are more in keeping with that vast unknowable how do you fight a thing like this? Yeah. Instead of him just being a giant guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, because, because the, that is, that's the, that's the dichotomy of the character is that some treat it as the unknowable force. And that's how you wind up with Galactus as a cloud. Um, whether or not that works for you, 
is that's personal preference, but I get where that comes from. Right. Um, whereas a lot of Galactus stories, you know, he's even, even here when we, when we, they talk about him having an organic body, whereas later on Galactus is a roiling storm of energy contained by armor. Yeah. Um, he only looks like a giant guy. Uh, so it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other, but, um, yeah. Anyway, so that brings us to Fantastic Four number 211, which has a cover by John Byrne, Joe Sinnott, and Gaspar Saladino, and lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Jim Shooter. Uh, the, the Fantastic Four are teleported to another planet where they encounter Tyros, uh, who is this warlord running the planet. Uh, they fight and subdue him, at which point it turns out that all of his army are animated solely by his power. And so they've effectively freed the populace of the planet. Uh, but they subdue him and are teleported back to Galactus, who transforms Tyros into Terax the Tamer. Uh, my favorite part of this issue is that, like, they send Terax to this little planetoid where he gets to show off his new powers and his new cosmic acts. And everybody's just standing around watching this while Sphinx is doing God knows what back on Earth. Right. Uh, it's just kind of like, we're kind of on, a, on the clock here, people. <laughs> Guys, we kind of got to go. Uh, yeah. He's literally going to destroy the earth because he knows too much yeah uh but so they they finally they finish doing all of this and start heading back to earth and while that's going on the watcher does his standard like standing there just going like oh bad shit is coming um so yeah thanks watcher Th thank you very much watcher that's uh we know <laughs> 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 I, I don't know it's it's always funny to me when he's just like it's one thing when a thing is happening and then the watcher is just like standing off to the side and they're like oh man what what does that mean uh but then But then they do stuff like this and it's just kind of like things are going to get bad. And it's like, we know, man, like two gods are going to be duking it out on earth. We know. Right. But whatever. Excuse me. Sorry. Um. So that uh, that brings us to our next issue, which is Fantastic Four number 212 has a cover by Walt Simonson and Irving Watanabe, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Marv Wolfman and Jim Shooter. There's a whole lot of everybody standing around being upset <laughs> uh, because Sue and Johnny realize that she's probably going to die sooner than the others because the Storm family tends to die young. Uh, and sure enough, she winds up succumbing to old age before the others and has to be put in suspended animation. Um, they're back in the Baxter building. Herbie locates the Sphinx in Egypt, which seems like the obvious place to look. Uh, and the Sphinx then, before he destroys the Earth, recreates the ancient Egypt that exists in his mind. Uh and so Galactus and the Fantastic Four show up and he and the Sphinx uh, start staring each other down. The thing that is interesting about this, I mean, we get, we get a whole lot of the Sphinx reminiscing about what his whole deal is and why we're here. And it's like, okay, yeah, come on. But um, what, is, what is interesting about this fight with the Sphinx is... It's been presaged. 
uh, you know, the character of Sage, with a Y, has shown Sphinx how things are going to play out. And so Sphinx knows what's coming and he's working to prevent it. Um, Galactus, meanwhile, is just like, I'm just here to fuck you up so I can eat the planet. Uh, so as they are having their preliminary uh, smack talk, Reed starts working on on something to stop Galactus, but they are he and the others are interrupted when Terax comes in and he's just like, "I'm gonna kill you," <laughs> uh, which is the short version of things. Um, so yeah, uh, this next issue is really the big the big thing. I really. This was kind of the high point of the week for me. Um, Fantastic Four number 213 has a cover by John Byrne and Joe Sinnott and is colored by Ben Sean. Uh, The Fantastic... The three members of the Fantastic Four who are not sitting in a tube have a fight with Terax and it does not go their way. Uh, Ben winds up collapsing and... Uh, really, the only thing that stops the whole thing is Johnny is able to burst a coolant pipe which freezes Terax, uh, and they're then able to um, finish what they're working on. Reed has Herbie take Ben back to the ba- Baxter building and put him in suspended animation as well. Uh, and then we get the actual fight between Galactus and the Sphinx, which... Is really it's a really interesting fight because for as much as you'd expect there to be a lot more godly spectacle, a lot of it seems to be them hitting each other. <laughs> and this is this is this is why I like like Norse and Greek mythology, where they recognize that the gods are incredibly petty too. And uh that's the kind of thing that's going on here. It's a whole lot of Galactus and Sphinx foregoing their godly power to just kind of wail on each other. <laughs> um, I actually like it as a fight, too. Like, I know... No, that, it is. Like, yeah. That because at one point, Big Sphinx, because he, after he absorbed all the knowledge, he became, like, you know, 50 feet tall or whatever, too. Um, Big Sphinx... Uh, bashes Galactus so hard that he pummels him into the earth. Then he stands up and raises his arms above his head and gloating like, I am now, blah, 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 I've finally done it, I've broken free. Meanwhile, Galactus is tunneled underneath the earth and grabs his ankles and whams him down. Like, yeah. this is this is stupid. Um, yeah. It's it's great. Like, I enjoy it, but, like, yeah, you're right. As, like, two godly beings fighting each other, this is the dumbest way possible. Um, yeah. And... Galactus has the fucking power cosmic. Yes. And, and he's, he never... He's... Bl- they never blast each other or anything like that. It's no. literally just haymakers. And yeah. And wh- wh- why? Uh, it ends with uh, Galactus basically... Something trips up Sphinx, and he gets all up in his head about the uh, predestination thing and Galactus basically just grabs him by the by the wrists does Galactus so he absorbs all of the energy out of uh Sphinx Sphinx shrinks back down and then just again like you're saying the pettiest move is he grabs the gem the costume off of his forehead which is a thing that like even Sphinx wasn't sure he could do removes it crushes it in his palm and then lets the dust drop in front of him as he walks lets the dust drop in front of sphinx as he walks away and sage is sage comes up and he's like yep this happens and then galactus goes i'm not done with you yet motherfucker (laughs) and you have you have managed to irritate fucking me and does a thing that we don't I don't think we've ever seen Galactus do before uh, or since, which is send Sphinx, whose real name I forget, back in time to the Temple of the Costone so that this shit can happen again. Um, mm-hmm. And 
that's uh, apparently that's the part that he saw in Sage's face, not the fact that he loses or the part that he, you know, everything else. The ultimate fate is doing this over and over and over again across yeah. five thousand years, and uh, that's. That was the thing he was ultimately trying to get out of. And that's cool. That actually, like, as far as the meeting of comeuppance and ultimate reveal of what the villain was trying to, in this case, avoid, that's fun. Like, this actually works for me. Sage annoys the piss out of me, but, like, this... This be this reveal being the thing that of the thing that he was actually trying to avoid. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, it works. Yeah, it's really it's really good. Like the fight itself is fun. Yeah, but like the the moment at which Galactus takes him and drops him into his own personal hell. Yeah, uh, is is really good. Um, once that is done. A an aging reed uh, comes out with what he's managed to cobble together, which Galactus is just like an ultimate nullifier, and he's like, "Yep, that's that's what it is. You need to leave now." And Galactus, Galactus, like, kind of tries to gauge the poker face, and he's just like, "Okay, okay, I'll leave, but the you know, you and I are gonna have a run in again." I know that much is for certain. Um, and also, like, <clears throat> he's very clear that, uh, okay, I'll go, but uh, my vow is rescinded. I yeah. can come back here anytime I want, and I yeah. will. We're not yeah. done here. And yeah. Galath reads like, cool, cool, please leave before I die. I'm going to die now. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and what, what I will... So one thing I did forget to mention, before this happens, the Sphinx has been defeated, Galactus is there, and the Watcher is still kind of just hanging out, and Galactus is like, so you've seen it, move along, (laughs) and the Watcher's like, oh no, it's not over, I'm here to see your eventual defeat. Yeah. And Galactus is like, hmm? And that's when Reed's just like, ultimate nullifier? So then, Galactus pisses off. And Reed is like, Reed talks to the Watcher and he's like, I don't understand. Like, you have a vow. You have renewed that vow. Um, Is it, how are you not interfering right now? And the Watcher reveals that the reason Reed was able to pull off this bluff is because the Watcher, in a, in an effort to, keep up his vow of recording all historical events was probing Reed's mind hardcore to get his individual thoughts in the moment, which prevented Galactus's mental probes from penetrating. (laughs) And so that's how Reed was able to bluff Galactus. Uh, I didn't interfere. I did my job really well. Yeah. What? I did my job so well, things wound up happening differently, but I just, I didn't violate it. And I don't know. I, the, it's, it's an interesting loophole, but I don't know. I don't know how the other watchers would feel about that one. They'd just be like, that's, that's walking a line, man. I, that's, uh. That's really spirit of the law kind of things there. Yeah. Guy. You you obeyed the exact letter of the law, but that's about it. And uh, even when even Johnny's like, uh, feels like you're kind of bending your own rules a little. Um, just a bit. I'm not objecting. You know, we're we're cool. But uh, yeah, even Johnny's like, hey, man, <laughs> logical inconsistency. Yeah. Uh, but so then Reed collapses of <coughs> old age, which brings us to our last issue of Fantastic Four this week. Uh, not our last issue, just the last issue of this snippet of run. Uh, 
Fantastic Four number 214 has a cover by John Byrne, Joe Sinnott, and Danny Crespi, and is colored by Carl Gafford. Um, Johnny takes Reed back to the Baxter building and loads him into one of the suspension tubes and spends a while lamenting his complete and utter inability to do anything about the fact that his family is going to die. Um, he tries everything he can think of. He tries contacting Stark. No answer. Tries contacting the Avengers. No luck. Tries contacting Xandar to see if they have anything. Nothing. Um, but then he winds up being attacked by the Skrullax robot who, uh, who pursued Adora to Earth at the beginning of this, uh, bit of Fantastic Four. Um, they fight and Johnny, uh, Johnny, Johnny is plagued by self-doubt throughout this, uh, both in his inability to do anything about the others dying and his inability to defeat the Skrull X um, because it has the uh, the simulated powers of the Fantastic Four. But he winds up dialing up his flame to the point that he winds up melting Skrull X, who turns out to be a robot. Having destroyed it, Johnny then discovers that it was carrying a weapon like the one that aged the Fantastic Four. And uh, he then wakes Reed so that they can re reverse engineer it to find a cure. Um, Reed nearly dies in the process, but Johnny is able to uh, weld it back, weld it in such a way that it finishes, uh, they finish building it. Uh, uses it, nothing happens. He uses it again, nothing happens, and he collapses into a heap, and he's just like, I I failed, I, uh, I failed to save my family, and uh, at which point they step out of the tubes, and they're like, Reed says, you know, you've never failed at anything you've ever tried, Johnny. And, like, it's kind of a nice little moment, and I kind of hope this leads to I Johnny I think is interesting when he walks that line between I don't like him when he's completely cocky I think right. a little bit of self-doubt is not necessarily a bad thing but I don't like him wallowing in self-doubt so I'm kind of hoping that we can have a while where he's somewhat in between i yeah you know when mark wade was writing it and johnny johnny was someone that people underestimated and he was able to use that yeah you know that's the kind of johnny i really enjoy um so i'm kind of hoping we can have that for a while overall this was this was an interesting run of fantastic four i was kind of disappointed pointed because when John Byrne uh, started drawing it, I thought maybe this was going to the, be the point at which he starts on the book. But apparently he 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 pencils it through number 218 and uh, then winds up coming back in another 20 issues or so to actually write and draw the book. And it's, it's, it's one of those runs where it ain't perfect, but it's sort of one of the seminal Fantastic Four runs. So I was kind of excited to go into that, but we still have a little bit, I guess. So I overall, for being so much goddamn Fantastic Four, I actually enjoyed this. Um, yeah. And I think it's because I agree with Reed. This is what they should be doing, which is more challengers of the universe kind of thing, where it's like, we're exploring doing science and I got my muscle got, muscles with me and my wife who's smarter than she lets on and way more powerful than she appears. And we go and we help save this civilization from impending doom and or whatever. Um, and I like that more 
right? Yeah. Like, I agree with Reed that that's what they should be doing and not the crime fighting or whatever. Yeah. They're not, I mean, supposed to be superheroes. <laughs> they just, they are, they are, they need to be <clears throat> Johnny Quest with superpowers, right? Um, right. And that's hard to do. Apparently a lot harder to do than I expected. Um, you, you think it's just there on the tin. Oh, well, you just do Johnny Quest with superpowers. And it's like, no, you can't. Because the minute that you have superpowers, you have to create different kinds of conflict than you would if it were just, you know, uh, Jace with a gun, right? Like you have to, is it Jace? The silver-haired dude in Johnny Quest. Oh, uh, Race. Race yeah, Bannon. Race. You know, because that was Race's job, was just, I have gun, we'll shoot at guys when they try to kill your dad. Um, right. And that's... It, it, yeah, it's much harder to do this when two, one of the guys is made of fire and the other one... One of your dudes is made of fire and the other one's made of rock. Like... yeah having the family dynamic as well which gets rounded out at the end in the last issue but like that's better so i don't know i'm beating a dead horse uh but yeah well no i i agree this is what the fantastic four should be yeah uh you know every every book has their their niche mm-hmm. um you have you have the patrolling superheroes like your Spider-Man's. Your Spider's um, Man and your Dare's <laughs> your Dare's Devil. <laughs> uh, and then you have like your your big time super teams like the Avengers, the Champions, yada yada yada. You have your um your weird shit, which is your blades, your Doctor's Strange or Druid or what have you. Uh, and then you have like your X-Men's who are your, you know, they are what they are and everybody hates them for it. And so they're just kind of trying to survive. Right. Um, the, the fantastic four are, are like, are like a super science Dr. Strange in that Mm -hmm. they, they are there to, they are there to, learn and study and defend when necessary, but they're not, they're generally not out here chasing down purse snatchers. If Johnny is out on a date and sees somebody snatch a purse, he'll stop them. But that's not why the Fantastic Four exists. Yeah. That's not why you're reading Fantastic Four. And anyone who tries to make them that, it's just like, what you have fundamentally misunderstood why we're here. Right. <clears throat> they're also not out there trying to stop monitor for and stop threats before they happen it's mostly reads poking at shit that he doesn't fully understand yet because that's what he does and that's fine that's his that's that's science uh and accidentally opens a hole into the negative or dimensional portal to the negative zone that lets annihilus through and you're like that's a problem you gotta fix there bud you yeah. uh you did that or yeah he notices that he's monitoring something else in the universe that he's trying to figure out and by at the same time notices that Dr. Doom is so, uh, attempting to open a portal to Dormammu's dimension to siphon hell power and it's like oh, we can't really let him do that but uh better call strange first yeah. you know that's that's what that's that's a fun story. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so next up we have Spectacular Spider-Man number 32, which has a cover by Bob Layton, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Jim Mooney, inked by Frank Springer, colored by Bob Sharon, and lettered by Joe Rosen, and then edited by Al Milgram. Uh, Peter starts a new assistant teaching position as part of his graduate studies and meets Professor Morris Sloan and fellow assistant Marcy Kane. 
Kurt Connors, it turns out, is at ESU working on his innervator, but he's acting odd and carrying an iguana around uh, during a What's visit odd about slash, that? you know, sometimes you just want your reptile hanging out, <laughs> just blinking at you, uh, at a visit slash lecture at the Bronx Zoo, uh, Connors acts weird. Peter follows him and is attacked by an anthropomorphic lizard that's not Kurt Connors, who is lying unconscious on the floor. Uh, yeah, there, there is... <clears throat> there is a, the one thing I will mention about this issue is that this issue starts out with Peter going back to his apartment and his friends have again fixed his place after Carrion uh, trashed it, proving yet again that Peter has better friends than he deserves. Um, I don't know. Like, Peter, especially right now, Peter kind of lashes out at everyone around him. And I get... We're in a period where Peter's life is falling apart. Yeah. But his friends are really trying and they do not deserve the amount of shit they get from him. Yeah. Uh, because like they've, they've fixed his apartment. They, they got together to celebrate him when he, when he goes to pick up his diploma and stuff like that. And his response is just like, well, who the fuck asked you? And it's just kind of like Peter. Peter, I understand you're under a lot of stress, but get your shit right. Like, yeah, you I, know, I need you to lash out at the right people, which yeah. really is no one. Um, these people don't deserve what you're doing. Seriously. Uh, yeah. And that's it's more in the next issue, I th or in amazing when he ha when he's yelling at Peter or Peter. When he's yelling at Harry and Flash. Yeah. And he says something shitty. Oh, then he does something when Ned and Betty come out of the fucking woodwork at him and are like, are you going to tell my wife you fucking aren't interested? And Peter's like, fuck yeah, okay, fine. Betty, I hate you, basically. Like, he comes on way harsh. And, yeah. uh... She runs off crying, and even Ned is like, Jesus, man. Yeah. I want... And he turns to Ned, and he's like, well, fuck you. What did you want? Like, I thought this was... A, that's what you wanted. And he's like, you could have let her down easy. And it's... At that point, I'm a little on Peter's side, where it's like, Ned, shut the shit up. You, yeah. You, you shut up. Uh, I mean, you don't Peter get to was tell... in a bad situation yeah. there. <laughs> Peter, you, you... Well, but at the same time, Ned, you don't get to tell Peter how to do this. You're the one that demanded he do it. How was not in your instruction. Shut the fuck up. Um, but then Harry and Flash are there at the same time. I've jumped ahead, but let's just get rid of all of this out in the open, I guess. It, Harry and Flash are there at the same time, and Harry, and he turns to them. And he's like, okay, sorry. What were we talking about? And Flash is like, I'm sorry. Something smells. I gotta go. And yeah. Peter and Harry's like, yeah, I'm with him. Oh, come on, guys. Uh, it's like, no, nah, they're right. You're a dick. Yeah. Everyone in this situation sucks, except for Harry and Flash. Or, yeah, Harry and Flash. Do you know how badly that situation has to be have gone <laughs> in order for Harry and Flash to be the good guys? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, I'm. I'm really annoyed with Ned uh, in that interaction. Ned can because get he's, fucked. Because he's, like, been demanding that Peter leave his wife the fuck alone. He's been demanding that Betty just fucking talk to him. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And, you know, they've, they've both so completely involved Peter in their bullshit. I feel bad to him to an extent. No, he, he mishandles this whole thing really badly but then ned is just like well i didn't mean like that and it's just like fuck you man get, get fucked like 
you're supposed go the fuck away. Like you don't you don't get to strong arm your way into this situation, make demands, and then get pissy that the people who acceded to your bullshit didn't accede to it in the way you wanted them to. Right. And that's why I'm like, no, dude, you, you, you made me be here. Oh, and that's what I was going to say was uh, she, he's like, won't you just fucking talk to me? And the one time that she does finally go, okay, yeah, you're never fucking home. You just left me in Paris to go off on goddamn assignment for weeks on end. And I don't even know where you are. And I got tired of it, worrying about you all the time. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you can just see the information flying directly through him. Like, none of it sticks. It all permeates and hits the wall behind him. And he's just, and it's just like, well, she just did the thing. Like, she finally did the thing. She did the thing I've been wanting her to do, which is talk to you about the thing no wonder she's leaving you, you idiot. You, you fucked up the one thing you were asking for. Uh, I was bye. I was wishing she would talk to him until he showed up. Yeah. Before he showed up, I'm like, Betty, you really need to talk to your husband. But then he showed up and I'm like, no, I get it. Actually, you were right to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, and if then, he would have shown up hat in hand and been like, uh, okay, so I am upset. But I'm more worried than anything else. What What is going on? Uh, help me understand why this is happening. And she would... Yeah. I would have been like, well, now, now I'm on your side, you know? But the way that he storms into everybody's life, like, completely unhinged. I'm just like... Yeah. Uh, when he showed up, I was just like, okay, no, yeah, I'm with you. I get it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah. did Ned become an ass... <laughs> yeah and i the thing that um you know like when he tries to then make it peter's problem again mm-hmm. uh because he's just like because what he says after peter blows up at M- betty and the way the way peter handles it is fucking terrible oh he's yeah like you were convenient you were yeah. there when mary jane dumped me and that was it Go the fuck away. Yeah, you're an asshole. But yeah, no, uh, no, every Ned, that's that's what I mean is everyone in this situation sucks. No, yeah. But Ned Ned then uh Ned then is just like you could have let her down easy and he's like, you know, now she won't even let me pick up the pieces. And I'm just like, that sounds like a you problem, Ned. Like Deal with your shit. Stop making it everybody else's problem. But anyway. Okay. So, Spectacular Spider-Man number 33 has a cover by Al Milgram and is lettered by... Or, I'm yeah. And is lettered by Jim Novak. Uh, The iguana attacks Spider-Man and uh, shares the same ability the lizard has where he can control all of the reptiles nearby. Uh, This gives iguana the opportunity to escape... Later that night, Spider-Man meets up with Connors at the ESU lab and learns what exactly happened, uh, which is that it was the fucking innervator again, uh, except that here it wound up passing energy through Connors to this iguana that he had for research purposes. Uh, The iguana then became anthropomorphized and gained all of the memories of the lizard um and so in in the process they're like oh shit that means your family is in danger so spider-man goes to stop the iguana from attacking them connor's decides the best way to handle this is by climbing into the innervator and becoming the lizard again which I kind of feel like is Connor's answer for everything. (laughs) I Connor's is kind of like, it's kind of like when Bruce Banner got all jealous about Betty and became the Hulk again. And you're just kind of like, you know, I felt bad for you before, but now you're just a dick. Uh, Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I get it. (laughs) 
when when all you have is a hammer, <laughs> right? Uh, but at the same time, let Spider-Man handle it. Um, this is, is what Spider-Man does. He is. He handles lizard-related shit in your sphere and, of life. Spider-Man handles lizard-related problems. This is a lizard-related problem. Uh, you go make a serum. Do some science, right? Yeah. Like, do some science at it to try and reverse enervate the iguana. Like, this is that's what you do. I understand that will take more time and you'll be distracted while Spider-Man is out saving your family. But it's a more complete solution. So, do that. Well, Instead, a... he just climbs into the innervator and is like, I'll throw the lizard at it. <laughs> Alright, yeah. my dude. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, like, I feel bad for people in these situations up to a point Mm -hmm. at a certain point you have to just be like i don't know i kind of feel like maybe you like being the lizard yeah but anyway uh spectacular spider-man number 34 is colored by george russos um and the connor's family gets caught in a three-way battle between spider-man the lizard and the iguana uh he is able to fend them off um at which point lizard and iguana disappear. Uh, I like what? this fight. Um, yeah, I, I know that we, you know, it's, it's a con it's, it is what happens every time. So the, uh, the, every time he fights the lizard, he's constantly like, okay, I can't hurt him cause he's Connors and I need to just get him to fucking stop and not be the lizard anymore. Uh, so there's, all these different competing motives inside this three this fight that it make it so much more complicated for everybody but Iguana. Because yeah. Iguana has one goal, which is murder everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And that's his goal. Spy- Lizard has two goals, which is save Connor's family, because he still has that in his head. Also kill both of them. So there's two there's those two goals. And then Spider-Man has three problems, which is save the family, stop Iguana by any means necessary, because fuck that guy, and stop the lizard without killing him, because goddammit, he's the lizard. Like, yeah. throwing in that extra Iguana problem makes mm. the fight, or keeps the fight fresh for me. I don't know mm. if it works for you in the same way, but for me, uh, it it doesn't seem so hard-boiled because of that extra little wrinkle where it's like, I gotta keep you back and not kill you. And Oh, God damn it. <laughs> so many yeah. plates spinning in one fight. Yeah. Um, but he returns to ESU. Uh, there's a whole thing where Professor Sloan is being weird about a skeleton. Don't have time for this shit right now. <laughs> uh, but Peter converts the innervator into a backpack unit he goes on the trail of the lizard and the iguana and come to find out they've joined forces. Uh, but he is able to use the uh, innervator unit to transfer the lizard's energy into the iguana, curing Connors. Uh, the iguana falls into a, the fountain and shorts out uh, and is restored to just being a regular iguana. So... Yeah. Okay. Um, not, you know, it was, it was interesting. And then it was just kind of like over and it's like, all right, fine. Yeah. I will say that, that it's kind of, uh, oh, we're done. Yeah. All, all right. Uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome, which is nice. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so that brings us to. Amazing Spider-Man number 194 with a cover by Al Milgram, written by P- Marv Wolfman, uh, penciled by Keith Pollard, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Ben Sean, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Peter encounters a thief by the name of the Black Cat who plans to break notorious cat burglar Walter Hardy out of prison. Uh, eventually he is able to figure out what her deal is and tries to confront her at the prison during the breakout. Uh, Meanwhile, the burglar who shot Uncle Ben is moving against Aunt May. 
Ned Leeds is out to figure out what the hell is going on with his marriage, and Harry and Flash are getting sick of Peter's shit, but we already covered all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. You're fine. I'm just saying. I, like, I write these synopses the morning we record, and I'm just like, here's the short version of everything, and so that's what I had. Uh, so that brings us to Amazing Spider-Man number 195 which is inked by Jim Mooney, Mike Esposito, and Al Milgram, and colored by George Russos. Uh, Failing to stop the Black Cat, Spider-Man gets buried in rubble and dislocates his shoulder. He returns to ESU, where he blows Betty off in the worst way, and everyone rightfully turns on him. Felicia, or Black Cat, returns Walter Hardy to his home and reveals that she is Felicia Hardy. Um... She's done this so that he can die in peace at home instead of in prison. Uh, But Spider-Man shows up and confronts her. During the battle, she falls into the water and seemingly perishes. Uh, Spider-Man returns to the house to find that uh, Walter has passed away in the meanwhile, or in the interim. Uh, And then he returns home to discover a telegram saying that Aunt May has died so uh again we're we're getting things are just piling up on peter um yeah he does the fight while his arm is all splinted up or whatever is just a really stupid move my dude yeah. You knew you knew nothing good was going to happen if you went out like that. Um, yeah. So I'm a little I'm a little upset that he doesn't take it harder when Felicia goes in the water uh because it's like yeah, you you couldn't you created this situation by imposing yourself in here and you weren't going to be able to handle it well because you're hurt, right? Yeah. Like Something bad happened because you stopped, you started shit you didn't have to. Um, Especially given, like, it's a cat burglar that got broken out. You've done the research and know the man is dying. Like, what is, other than she irritated you, what's the goal here? Why Why is this that big a deal? Is it only because everything else? And I know the answer is because, because of the Ned and... Betty situation happening so publicly like he felt like he needed to win out of something and this is how he was going to get it and it's like that's that's abuser talk my dude like yeah. you, you don't do that um yeah. so I don't know um there's all this shady shit happening at the nursing home where Aunt May is there this guy the guy who bought their house is at the nursing home strong-arming the warden's not the right term, but the guy in charge to figure out a way to keep Peter from showing up at the nursing home. And I guess this is a solution. Also, the guy, the administrator at the nursing home, is also super weird. So... There's a reason for that. I'm sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, I will say, knowing who the administrator is, it's kind of (laughs) bullshit. Like, had it just been that the administrator was being shady, Mm -hmm. okay, like, cool. But once we find out what his deal is, it's just like, god damn it. So... Is it it another Jackal clone? No. Not that dumb? No. It makes even less sense than that. Um, Um, Doc Oct. No. Okay. Uh, Do you really want to know? Not yet. I want to learn as we go. So I won't, uh, given the reading orders lately, I probably won't find out until next year. Next week, actually. Okay, good. Yeah, so, anyway, uh, top five? Top five. 
the Watcher's Guide's Top 5. Top 5. Uh, number 5. Herbie is a lot different than I thought. Um, I saw Herbie on the cover of 210 or whatever that was and was like, Oh God, oh God, this is going to be horrible and cutesy and kitschy and dumb. And it wasn't that. And he wasn't, like, super involved in the story or annoying. He just helped. Like, it worked the way it was supposed to. And that's always concerning when it comes to Reed Richards. When something works correctly for a while, um, what? Yeah. So. One one thing I will clarify. I said we have everything we need to know what's going on with Herbie. Mm -hmm. I think I should clarify the book doesn't announce it. It's not, it's not one of those things where they're just like, Hmm, I wonder what that's about, but some things happen. And if you're paying attention, you're going to be like, what, what was that? And then Herbie starts acting weird and you're like, Oh. I don't think I was paying enough attention because I was very hesitant about Herbie uh, at all. Um, anyway, number four, what do I have here is, oh no, 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 I did not interfere. I just did my job too hard. And it's like, <laughs> Watcher, you're okay. We're going to keep our eye on you. Trixie watchers uh, is uh, number three is the spinning plates of the iguana fight or the lizard iguana Spider-Man fight because, like I say, I I enjoyed that even though it was the same basic like lizard fight having a third party having all parties have different degrees of uh, complications makes it interesting to me. Well, and this, this, this lizard fight was interesting because the nature of the relationship between lizard and iguana meant uh-huh. that Kurt Connors was slightly more in control than he otherwise would have been. Like yep. once they're away from his family, the lizard reasserts, but when they're near his family, Connors is very much sort of directing uh, the aggression of the lizard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, number two is Galactus and his ship not giving a shit about any of the things that's happening to like, and then him being like, "No, I don't, I don't want to." You, yeah, like you said, you clearly misunderstand the nature of this relationship, wherein I would do anything for you at all, ever. Get the fuck yeah. out. And I just like that. Uh, and then number one is the Sphinx wrap up. The yeah. comeuppance as also the thing that he was trying to avoid this whole time. And mm-hmm. like how that that wrap up is great. I just enjoyed the shit out of that. Sphinx ended up being a hell of a lot more interesting than he had any right to be. Um, yeah, because when he shows up in Nova, th- when he first appears, it's like, oh, God, this guy, fuck this guy, this guy sucks. He's got minions that suck. He sucks. And then yeah. throughout that Nova story, you're like, okay, he was a good villain because he showed us things about Rich that we weren't purview, we didn't know yet, right? Like yeah. the, the his. Rich's willingness to be like, I suck at this, I know, but I'm just going to keep throwing myself at it until I get better or die. And I have to, because that's your whole deal. Um, and the the end of that first fight with him being like, alright, you've got me interested. I will not destroy you. That's about it. That's what you get. That's you winning. Is Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just... To then have him lose this way, once we finally find out that that's the thing that he's been trying to avoid the whole goddamn time, I I enjoy it. So 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, number five. Uh, guys, watching Terax is really cool and all, but shouldn't we be worrying about the guy who's going to destroy the Earth? Yeah. Uh, TikTok. <laughs> Don't we have things to do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, number four. You know that totally natural thing that all societies do where they have brains and jars hooked up to computers? Yeah, that. Uh, number three is uh the sphinx versus galactus fight uh because i really do i really do like that you know all of this godly posturing really does come down to uh two giant dudes wailing on each other like frat boys in a parking lot sure uh yeah uh, number two is Johnny's Crisis of Confidence, because I will give I will give Wolfman credit here. He's built this up properly over the course of the issues preceding it, wherein like Johnny's like feeling like the odd man out. He's feeling like the others are much more established. He's feeling like they bring more to the table than he does. They have more going on in their personal lives than he does. He doesn't know why he's here. And then he winds up coming through in the clutch. And they're just like, this is why you're here, man. Yeah. This is, you're awesome at this. Stop doubting yourself. Yeah. Fucking own your shit because you're awesome. Yeah. Um, and then number one is Sphinx winding up in the loop. Uh, cause that's, that's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, that is it for us this week. Join us next week. We'll be re- reading a whole lot of Spider-Man, uh, and then we'll be starting in on Micronauts, which I am personally very excited for. I am um, too. I didn't think I would be, but the little Micronauts banners in the bottoms of like the letters pages have been there for months now like, yeah. of our reading. I, I understand we're reading a lot, so it would have been compressed, but still it feels like they've been teasing this thing for what would be years and yeah. it finally coming. I'm like, I don't added to that. I don't know anything about Micronauts. I know nothing. So I'm well, really excited yeah. to find out if this is crap and that's why I don't know anything about it, or bonkers, and like two bonkers, and then it's going to be right up my fucking alley, or what? Well, you know, so here's the thing. You got to, with something like this, you have to adjust your definition of crap. Sure. Uh, so, for late one, 70s for, crap is way different than... Well, and also, like, because, okay, as an example. Sure. There is a book called Star Ears, which is based on a toy line. It got a four-issue miniseries from Marvel Comics uh, that was not good. Was not good. Yeah. But the lore that they built for the world was insanely interesting. It was written by Louise Simonson and had covers by bill sinkevich and it's just like you don't need to work this hard on a licensed book holy shit you guys like what they got from the toy company was kind of garbage but like they rocked that shit out as much as they possibly could and i'm just like i like this this is like it winds up being really anticlimactic but holy shit you guys it I won't go into details because it, it involves a lot of uh, context. But and Micronauts, uh, Micronauts is one of those things that, um, you know, is it's a comic based on a toy line uh, where it winds up in a weird rights issue because Marvel did a lot of the heavy lifting on the world building behind the franchise uh which results in strange ownership shit um 
And so it's this weird Venn diagram of things that are capital M, capital J, my jam. Mm -hmm. And uh, plus, like, the, the unique selling point of the toy line and its interchangeability resulting in some weird lore that's kind of fucking dark. Uh, so, yeah, like, it's a, it's a, we'll, we'll get into that next week. I'm really excited. I've been thinking about this for the past two fucking weeks. Cause I'm just like, yeah, let's talk about goddamn Micronauts. And I, and so like, you know, this week it was just like, oh, this fantastic four between me and there. God damn it. And I wound up enjoying the fantastic four, but I'm still just like, I want to get to Micronauts. Come on. Anyway. Uh, in the meantime, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts, because that gets us in front of more eyes. Email us at watchersguide@gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, both individually and at watchersguidemu. And visit our website at watchersguide.com, where you can download episodes of the show and see all of the reading lists going back to the very first episode. Have a marvelous week. Bye.